0: Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you are about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. There's one song that made people think that's Because praise the Lord simply means hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. All right, so, so that's what we're going to be doing in this house. So if I, I don't do it often, but if I ever say, you know, praise the Lord, your response is hallelujah. If I say hallelujah, your response is praise the Lord, because that's what it means, okay? All right, um, let's see, let's see what we can do. All right, a few jokes. I walk out religiously on Christmas and Easter. Religiously, ah, wake up now. It's too early for this. Due to the recession, to save, an, to save on energy costs, the lights at the end of the tunnel have been turned off. <laughs> After ringing cell phones ruined the service, our pastor laid down the law in the next church bulletin. Let's turn off the technology and turn on each other. Why did Noah have to punish and discipline the chickens on the ark? They were using foul language. If Jesus drove a car, what make would it be? A Chrysler. <laughs> did you know they had cars in Jesus' time? I oh, hope I'm not corrupting these kids with all these jokes <laughs> because they'll think that these things are correct. These are all jokes, please. <laughs> what did, they had cars in Jesus' time. What Do you know what it was? The Bible says the disciples were all in one Aha, on that accord. Why do they say amen at the end of the prayer instead of A women? <laughs> the same reason we sing hymns instead of hers. Why couldn't Jonah trust the ocean? He just knew there was something fishy about it. What two things do we have that Adam never had? Ancestors and a belly button. That second one is very deep. I first heard it from Kenekoplan that you know you should be afraid of people that trust Wikipedia and people that paint Jesus paint Adam with a belly button <laughs> because Adam never has a belly button. All right. What is the recipe for holy water? Just take some regular water and boil the devil out of it. Why did God create man before woman? Because he didn't want anyone telling him what to do. Okay, let's, let's get going. Let's take our confession this morning. <clears throat> All right. When we get to the scriptures, when we're reading the scriptures, you're going to help me with the slides. Um, your, your clicker is always giving me a headache early in the morning, and I don't need it, <laughs> so... So when we get to, the, when we get to the, the reading together, yeah. All right, let's say this together. Say every day and in every way. I am becoming more like Jesus. I am becoming more like Jesus. One more time, I am becoming more like Jesus. Say in my thoughts, in my words, and in my actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, we have come before your word again today like people that have found a great treasure. We ask for eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear his voice, hearts that understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. I ask that you anoint me and my lips of clay, let your word come unhindered and unchecked by any outside force, so that at the end of this message your people will be edified and your name alone will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so <clears throat> this is part four of Discipleship 101. That's what we've been, we've been doing over the last four weeks now. I have one more message to go after this one. Um, But let me just recap a little bit the things that we've talked about. The first most important thing that we established at the beginning of this series is that discipleship is the process of growing into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's discipleship. And we said that the local church is God's instrument for discipleship. We also said last week that the culture of discipleship is a hot culture. It's a culture of honesty, openness, and what? Okay, they're forgotten everything we did last week. <laughs> and transparency, okay? So that's what we talked about uh, last week. So today I want to talk about the agents of discipleship. Agents of discipleship. Now, <clears throat> I, I would have referred to this as tools for discipleship, uh, but when we start to talk about it, you understand why I don't want to call them tools. They are, they are more, more like agents of discipleship. These are things that help us in this process that we have established that it's the process of growing into maturity and becoming more like Jesus. So these are things that help us in that process. So let's, let's take our, our reading from Hebrews chapter number 5, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 5 to 14, and we're going to read into the, the sixth chapter because it all flows, okay? So you can stand with me and let's read this together. If you don't have the New King James Version of the Bible, just read from the screen with me. We're reading from verse 5, one to go. So also, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Let's go to verse, uh, chapter 6 now. We're still reading it's, You know, we, we said there's no chapter and verses. It just keeps flowing. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted the heavenly gifts, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. The last verse. But if it bears thorns and briers, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Praise the Lord. You can have your seats. Um, now, like I said, we're going to talk about the tools that are responsible for growing into maturity, uh, into discipleship. I'm going to give you three points. And after that, we will talk about some other qualities of a disciple. Okay? So the first agent of discipleship that we want to talk about this morning is the Word of God. That is the number one agent of discipleship. That's the, that is the primary thing that God has given us by which we are supposed to grow that we may grow thereby 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby it says as newborn babes have a desire for the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby so every single one of us as Christians as children of God We are supposed to start with milk. That is the beginning. It's just like um, a newborn baby, a child, you know, that you've given birth to. It's it's supposed to start with milk. If you reverse the order and you try to feed your baby meat, you are going to cause problems. I'm I'm learning that all over again now with our our last child, right? It it is all about milk. Right now, at this stage, it's all about milk. Uh, Sometimes it sees you eating other things. And you can see in his eyes that he's wondering that what what is all these different things that people are eating, you know? Why is it only this that I have to eat? But despite the fact that he has only one menu right now, you can see the growth. You can see the changes. You can see the transformation. You can see that something is happening to him, even though the only thing that he is focused on right now is milk. That's how every one of us are supposed to start. It's 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 a tragedy. When a newborn baby starts eating food, you will be worried you will be concerned. <laughs> if your baby refuses to take milk and the first thing he wants is, and you give him meat mistakenly and he actually chews on it and he digests, you're going to call your doctor right away that something is wrong. And that's the way many Christians are. They get born again. The next thing, they throw them into the limelight. You know, they start to do all these things. They start doing processes And people are like, yes, yes. Uh, that's not the process. That's not the process. Milk, and you know, milk has gotten a bad rap, you know, because of, of, of course, we'll read it and we'll see why, that, you know, they say, don't, don't, don't just desire milk, you are unskilled in the world, you should desire meat, but there's a process to it. it. It's saying that after the milk, then comes the meat, after the milk. So that's the process. We all should start with milk, but we cannot stay with milk. So the same way that that baby at that stage is just taking milk, it can't stay there uh-huh. If he stays there for too long, then you'll you get worried again that something is wrong with this process. So there is a process and there's a way that it has to be. So once he has gotten to the stage where milk is now over, it starts to take other things. And, and then it starts, starts to shaping up, you know, as, as, other, as, as other human beings are shaping up, right? His muscles start to develop. Things like that start to happen. So that, that's the process. Hebrews chapter number 5 from verse 12. Let's move it along. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 12 to verse 14. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 12 to 14. It says, for though by this time, we read this before, it says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. So I want you to pay attention here to what he's saying. He's saying, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. It means that a period of time has passed between when this person was desiring the pure milk and, and now that, that he, the writer of Hebrews is saying he ought to be a teacher the time has passed. So he's saying by this time, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So there is a time when you no longer need milk that you now need solid food, but there is is a time. Say that with me. There is what? There is a time. So there is a period of time that has gone by. Verse 13 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Who are those of full age? That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, even though he says there's a period of time, he's he's not equating time to maturity. He's equating exercising your, your spiritual senses to maturity. It doesn't say, oh, because you have been, you have taken milk for a specified maybe three years or five years. You have qualified now to be mature. No, it's saying those who are full age. That is those who by reason of use. So it is the people that are exercising their spiritual senses that need to move away from milk into meat. I hope you are following me. We are building this up. I can give you the end of the message from the beginning, but when you build it up, it makes more sense. So you, you believe everything that I'm telling you. If at any point there's a breakdown of communication, then we won't get to the end. All right? So just stay with me. Now, let's move it into, into chapter number six. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. There is elementary principles of Christ. He's saying, at a particular stage, after you have, you have exercised your senses, you have come of full age by the reason of use. You need to now move on from the elementary principles of Christ. And what are these elementary principles? He says, not, not laying again, the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith towards God. Look at the things that he's calling elementary, okay? Faith towards God, of the doctrines of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So he's saying that all these things are elementary, but don't forget what we established. Even though he's calling them elementary, when he says we should move on to other things, he's saying that move on to other things after you have gone through all of these things. So it's not by skipping this process that you, you suddenly become a mature Christian. He's saying you have to go through all these different things: doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. But don't stay there. So he's not saying that um, solid food is, you know, when people hear this idea of meat and milk, they think that when the Bible says meat, he's talking about things that are confusing. No, that's not what he's talking about. Meat is not, see, if meat is good, it's not supposed to be hard. If meat is hard, there's a problem. (laughs) It's not supposed to be hard. Meat is supposed to be enjoyable. It's not supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be, you know, something that you struggle with and it damages your teeth. (laughs) Then that's no longer meat. (laughs) Meat is supposed to be something that you actually eat and you are able to eat it. So if meat is is good meat, it's something that you can digest. So it's it's not talking about confusing things. So it's not that the Word of God should be confusing for you to feel like, you know, it's, um, uh, you, you are being fed or that it's, 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 you're, now you are going from milk to meat. Uh-huh. What meat simply means here is talking about weightier matters of the law. And we'll see that in a moment here. It's talking about tackling difficult subjects. Don't, uh, don't, not avoiding certain things in the Bible and just concentrating on some other things. So it's talking about weightier matters of the law. You will see that in Matthew chapter number 23. And verse 23, Matthew 23, 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and coming and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So you see what Jesus is saying here. What are the weightier matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faith. So he's still repeating faith again. So it's not that faith is a basic thing, he's saying that you need to move on to things that are that, that are things about, about the just judgment and justice of God, the mercy of God, faith. Those things that are, that, are, that are away from the elementary. And notice what Jesus is calling elementary things here. Jesus is saying that paying tithes is elementary. Can you see what Jesus is saying? He says, for you pay tithes of mint and all these things, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. We'll talk about this more in a moment. He says, these you ought to have done. So he's saying, you're, you're paying tight, you're doing all these things, that's okay. You should do that without leaving the other things undone. So at a particular stage in your Christian work, you have to move away from arguing about basic things like baptism, you know, like laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, or, or whether we should pay tight or we should not pay tight, or whether it's supposed to be gross or it's supposed to be net, you know, and all those things. He's saying you should do these things, these are basic things, but you should move on to weightier matters of the law. Let's look at it in another translation. Matthew 23, 23, in the New Living Translation. Matthew 23, verse 23, in the New Living Translation. It says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Look at what Jesus now said. You should tithe, yes, This is Jesus speaking. He says, You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus is actually making it see. I want you to really get this this morning. That what Jesus is saying is that issues like money, you know, giving, those things, they are basic things. They are things that as a Christian you should take for granted. That if somebody is a Christian, these are the elementary things. These are the simple, rudimentary. Jesus said it, he said, you should tithe, yes. But there are some things that are even heavier than tightening. And I will show you why he said this. Because you see, money is one of the most elementary things in the kingdom. And I keep trying to stress this to you because this is very important for where we are going as a church. The issue of money, the issue of whether I can release something that God has given me. Jesus is saying that these are the elementary things. Elementary things in the kingdom. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter number 16 from verse 10 to 11. Luke 16, 10 to 11. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Jesus is saying here that the... He says he who is faithful in the least will be faithful in much. And now saying, if you are not faithful in money, you cannot be faithful with the treasures of the kingdom. In other words, money is the least thing in the kingdom of God. Money is the entry level in the kingdom. If you find a Christian who who is having trouble with giving God the priority over his finances, he's going to have problems in other areas. That's what Jesus is saying here. He will have trouble in other areas. There's no way around this thing. And there are people who say, you know, things like, it doesn't really matter, God just sees your heart. You know, give whatever comes to your heart. This is the question I'm going to ask you. If what is always coming to your heart is the smallest and the least of what you have there's a problem with your heart do you understand what i'm saying if if i mean when you when you are you are out or in a dinner with friends or whatever it is it comes to your heart to buy big food <laughs> you know and order all these nice things that comes to your heart easily there's no problem with that but when you are, when when it comes to giving to god or tithing or doing all these things that's when your heart now begins to measure down when it comes to god something is wrong with that heart we have to check that heart so Jesus is saying here that whoever is not faithful in the least, and I want to, I want to encourage you this morning as, as members of this house, you see, there's going to come a time that, I, I keep saying this, that people will start showing up here. You know, in, in, in phases of, of church planting, there is, there is the church planting phase. There's the planting phase. That's where we are right now. There is a phase of church planting called momentum growth. When you have done this phase for a, for a while, there comes a time when something happens that is a catalyst that things just begin to move and people don't understand. They look at it and say, "Ah, why is that church just suddenly growing? Uh It's because a lot of things, a lot of factors have come together. Before that time comes, I want to to make sure that those of you that are here, that are always showing up, you understand the basic things of the kingdom of God. That you are not in doubt about, you know, these things like, And I have a teaching I'm still going to share with you when we start talking about uh, financial stewardship, about this issue of tithing. I will break it down to you. Understanding it once and for all, that you will never be confused about it again. But before we get to that point, I want to, I want to encourage you as members of this church, please listen to me carefully. If you have a problem with the concept of tithing, come and ask me the question, personally. I will break it down to you. Why you should tithe? And a lot of you that are looking at me, you tithe, I know. <laughs> but I'm just saying that if in your heart there is a problem, like you, 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 you are, maybe you, you believe that, oh, this thing, maybe is Old Testament or it's not. I just showed you here where Jesus, Jesus himself, said you should tithe, yes, There's nothing else you need apart from that. So this is going to be an issue of you checking your heart and making sure that, see, when you take the first that comes into your hand and you give it to God, what you are doing is that you are telling God that God, you are my priority. Besides that, this concept of tithe does not, see, the tithe is not something you you give to God. You give God your offering, but not your tithe. Your tithe is something you return to God because it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. Uh-huh. So it's not something that you take and then you, you say, uh, I, I think today I can... No, no, no. That tithe is something that God has put in your, in your resources, in what he has given you, to test your faithfulness with money. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, you cannot... Come, nobody will commit to your hand the true riches. The true riches are the revelations of the kingdom of God. That's when you start to move into other things. So he's saying you have to, we have to test your faithfulness with money, And then we will start releasing the real treasures of the kingdom into your hands. Those are revelations. Things that you open your Bible, you see things, and you are like, wow, this is what I need to do now in my life. And you see your life moving upward. I just wanted to take some time here to break this down because if this foundation is not resolved, every other thing you try to build on it will collapse because that's what the Bible says. If you are not faithful in the unrighteous mammon, you cannot be faithful in the... Nobody will commit to your hand the true riches, Okay? I hope I made that clear. You might not like me, but later you will thank me. I'm telling you. I hope I made that very clear. Uh-huh. So around here, we are building a word culture. We love the word of God because we are born by it, and that's how we grow. The word of God is our, is our most important element in, in church. See, we can come to church and not do any other thing than sit down around the word, open the word of God, you know, and, and share God's word. That is the most important thing. Other things are also important, but you have to understand what the focus is because that's what God has given us as a means to grow. That's why He said we have to desire it. Okay? First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Now, 1 Peter 1, 23. He says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we, we are we are we are growing and becoming better Christians by God's word that that lives. And abide forever. So that is point number one: the word of God. That's the first agent of discipleship. Number two is prayer. Now these are things that you have. It's not like you have never heard them before, all right? I'm just trying to show you a perspective to these things, how they come into play when it comes to discipleship. Number two is prayer. Ephesians chapter number six and verse eighteen says, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit." being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication. It says always, praying always in everything. Can you you turn it off? Can you turn it off? Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, prayer is not just something we do to fulfill our righteousness. Uh, It's not, you know... And a lot of Christians have different approaches to these things. That's why it's it's important that you come to church and just come to church regularly and sit down and listen to God's word. Because people have this perspective that, you know, prayer is something we do, you know, just to to tick a box, you know. And, and, I mean, it's something you ought to enjoy. That's what I'm driving at. Prayer is not something that needs to be labored. It's something that you have to enjoy. Uh, So it's not just something we do to fulfill our righteousness. It is actually what makes us Christians. It is talking to God and hearing back from God. So prayer is, is never one way. It is you are talking to God and God is talking back to you. And that is very important. So when you pray, you, you wait for a response. Uh-huh. Prayer is not come to God, table all your request and walk away. You have to, you have to take some time to, to be still in the presence of God and receive answers to your prayer. When you do this, you might not feel it, you might not know it, but you are growing as a Christian. These are the things that make us grow. These are the things that lead to maturity, all right? We experience spiritual growth when we are able to maintain a disciplined, scheduled prayer life. When you are able to maintain a disciplined prayer life, a prayer life that is disciplined, scheduled. It's not something that happens when it happens. It's not that I pray, you know, whenever I'm in trouble or whenever I feel like praying. I mean, the Spirit of God just came upon me and I feel like I need to pray right now. That's not what prayer is. As a Christian, for you to experience this growth that we're talking about, your prayer has to be scheduled. It has to be something that you do as a discipline. You know, in, uh, my, my wife knows that what I wanted to do with my life was not to be a pastor. I wanted to be a writer. I did everything to convince God to allow me to write. <laughs> All right? But he's still going to, I'm still going to do it. It's just that right now, this is the most important thing. Okay? And when, when, when I write, I, I, I always tell people, like, I did, you know, a few writers' conferences and, you know, I would talk to... to to aspiring writers and all of that, and they will ask me, how do you get inspiration to write? Uh-huh. How do you get inspiration? You know that thing that where you just sit down suddenly and something just comes to you, like, ah, this is it. It's a light bulb moment. I'm going to write. Then you open your computer and you start writing. That, that thing doesn't exist. Once in a while, it might happen. But how I was able to write all the books, I've written about six now. How I was able to write the books that, I have, that I've written in my life is not by waiting for inspiration. It's by discipline. It's called discipline. It's not. How do I come up with messages? I'm. I'm looking at my calendar for the next two, three years. I'm planning out days. I'm looking at concepts in the Word of God. I'm looking at the things that we need as a church. I'm scheduling things. I'm not waiting for one idea to just um, uh, pop up. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this is the idea now. Let's. No, no, no. That's not the way this thing works. It's. It's about discipline. There's sometimes that I'll sit down with my computer and I'll be and I'll be thinking i need to write this this is i know this is what i want to write but i need to go about it somehow and somehow sometimes i'll even start by just writing what i'm saying to you right now that i need to write something but i don't know what to write and i'm writing that and before you know it i start to you know hit hard at it hit hard at it it's like a brick before you know what's happening something breaks and people read those stories and they're like wow how did you come up with this (laughs) like you don't know anything (laughs) sit down there and be waiting for inspiration that's how many christians treat prayer they're just waiting for that time that, you know, that like you know, and because we've been taught about the burden, you know, like a burden just comes upon you that, I, I can't sleep, I cannot sleep, I just feel like praying. Let me tell you, in a 365-day calendar year, eh, the amount of days that you will feel like that is four out of 365. <laughs> the amount of days that you will actually feel that heaviness that, ah, I need to pray and you can't sleep, is only four days out of 365. The other ones, you have to wake up. And as you are pacing the floor, sleep, sleep, you and sleep are fighting as you are pacing the floor. That's what prayer is. So it's discipline. You, you go to the place where you pray and you start the process. So you tell yourself that this is what I have to do as a Christian. It starts by being a discipline and then it becomes a delight. Before you know what's happening, you see that you, know, you start enjoying it more. You start, you know, it's no longer something that you are, you are forcing your way through. But at the beginning of this process, it has to be something that you are, you are breaking a barrier for. So no excuse for not praying. No excuse, no excuse. Plan it around your schedule. If, if the way you used to do it before, I mean, there was a way that I used to pray before I started working where I'm working now. I, 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 and I liked it better. But now that my schedule is no longer in that way, I have to change the approach. I have to find another approach to say, okay, if I can't do it at this time, that all other normal, what I call normal human beings, <laughs> when they do their own, then I can do it at this time, you know. And, it, and God is not looking at, oh, okay, everybody has to pray at a certain time. No, 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 you find out your own. Find out your own and work a schedule around it. And not wait for that time when something, you know, magical just happens to you. This is what I want to encourage you to do today, okay? And this is how we grow as Christians. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 9 to verse 10. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we pray for the people that we are discipling and we pray for those that are discipling us. Uh, when you pray, sometimes the reason why we don't, we don't spend enough time praying is because we don't really itemize the things that we want to pray about. Okay. When I was leading the Campus Fellowship, I've told you this too many times. I had, and I still have that list, it's just that right now it's smaller, okay? Back then it was very long <laughs> because there were so many people that I was, I was responsible for or that I thought I was responsible for. So I would write out all their names, all their names. After I finished praying, you know, all my normal praying and, and stuff, and I look at the time and it's like maybe one hour, thirty minutes, and I still have all nights to pray, I will start praying for each individual person one after the other one by one, call their names. And I still do that for you guys because I I can undo the number of you right now. One after the other, I'll call people's names one after the other. That's what I do right now. I mention people's names and say, Father, whatever it is that this person is going through, I'll pray in other tongues. Whatever comes to my heart by God, then I mention it. That's how you need to pray. When you do that, there's no way you will not, you will forget about the time. So you, you write things out. You, you make this a discipline. You, you write things out and say, This is what I'm praying about. You know, and mention people's names. You, you pray for your for your leaders, you pray for your husband, for your wife, you pray for your kids, you pray for your parents, you know, extended family, you pray for everybody you can remember. Then pick up other people's burdens. This is what Jesus said we should do. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you, you take up other people, you mention your kids by name, you know, you 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 go over their names, you call out their their, you know. And, and pray for them in that way, and, and write other people that, that are not, and they don't have to know that you are praying for them. There are people that I pray for right now that don't even have an idea that I'm praying for them. Some of them are not here, but that's what we have we been called to do as Christians. So you, 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 you call out their names in prayer, you pray for them, alright? This affects how we receive from God. Because if, you, if for instance, you, you, you come to Believer's House and you never pray for me as your pastor, the truth of the matter is that you are limiting the quality of the Word of God that you are going to receive. And I'm not talking about the quality of what I am delivering. There's a difference between what I'm sharing and what you receive. Do you know that? There's a big difference. What determines what you receive is what you have asked for, is what you have requested. Because there are times that as a, as a pastor, you are, just, you are just sharing things, and this is what you have written down in your notes that you want to share. But somehow, there is somebody in the, in the room that is making a demand on heaven, that he, he needs a word. And before you know what's happening, you'll find yourself diverting into an area and establishing a point that is an answer to that person's prayer. That's how people receive from God. It's not just by coming to church randomly and just, just show up. By just coming to church because we're coming to church and you, you just sit down you show up and whatever they share is, whatever they share and you go home. You, you're not receiving like that. It's by prayer. This is how we pull things out. This is how, this is how we pull things That We pray for one another. Jude chapter number 20 Jude chapter 20. Okay, let's, let's read 1 Thessalonians first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25. 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. So this is important. As, as, as leaders, we pray for, for, for the people. The people also in turn are supposed to pray for the leaders. So that everything, you know, that God has planned begins to work together for good. All right, that scripture that talks about all things working together for good, Romans 8.28, it started by, by, by talking about prayer. It's after a kind of prayer has happened that we know that all things work together for good. Okay, Jude chapter 20. Jude chapter number 20 says, But you, dear friends, this is New Living Translation now, must build each other up in your most holy faith, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it says, We need to build each other up. By praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is the second agent of discipleship. Point number three. And this third one is going to be very quick because we talked about it a lot. It is the Holy Spirit. So we said the first one is the word of God. Prayer is number two. The Holy Spirit is number three. That is the third agent of discipleship. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, in the New Living Translation, it says, so all of us, who have had that veil removed, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. He says it is the Lord, the Lord, who is the Spirit, is the one that makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So we've gone through an entire series on the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to make this one very short, okay? The Holy Spirit is the agent of change, it's not us. We are not the one that, that changes that change people. No matter how much you pray for somebody, no matter how much effort you put in, you are not the agent of change. The agent of change is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we don't use manipulation. We don't use blackmail. We don't use gossiping to try and change people. We don't use dating to try and change people. Okay, and you know there's all these kinds of things. You know, you know, uh, missionary dating. You know, that's what they call it, missionary dating, where you take somebody and say, "This person, I will date them, so that I can change them." You are wasting your life. You are wasting your life. Focus on what God has sent you. <laughs> and leave people alone. Okay, let the people, let the person change <laughs> first. All right. So don't, we don't use all those things. It's the Holy Spirit is the one that does the work. Our own job is just to pray for people. Okay, Second Corinthians chapter one from verse 23 to 24. Second Corinthians chapter 1 23 to 24. We're still staying with the NLT. It says now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. This is what Paul is saying here is that you know sometimes when when leaders correct people and say, you know, this is what you should do and this is what you, you ought not to do. People think that people are trying to dominate me. They're, trying to, they're trying to tell me what to do. They're trying to dominate my life. No, I'm, I'm my own person. I can't, you can't be telling me what to do. He's saying this is not the issue. The issue is that you will not grow into the, the stature. See, there are things that if, if they say that all objects remain at a state of rest until an outside force is applied, you will remain the way you are until something or someone comes and push you, pushes you out of your comfort zone. You will remain there. There's no... There's no listen, there are things that... There are things that this young man at the back who is doing all these things, there are things that he has learnt now that he didn't know in his life that he could do. <laughs> that he did not know that ever, ever. That he, and he tells me all the time that I don't even know. <laughs> like all these things, there's no way. Like, but because there was a need, a need showed up, and nobody was stepping up to the plate. And sometimes, uh, you know, our live stream would just be here, and we'd do premiere, we'd do this one. And he just stepped up to it. And from one week to the other, started learning different things. It's because somebody pushed him out of his comfort zone. There are weeks that I will abandon him here, and say, you have to figure this out. If you like, watch 21 YouTube videos, whatever you need to do, figure this thing out. <laughs> but when that happens, you are changing. You are changing, you are stretching, and you are changing. When you stretch and change, you never come back to the same state that you were before. It's as simple as that. So, so this is what we're talking about. So it's not that somebody is trying to tell, tell me what to do. They're trying to control my life. They're trying to control my life. That church, they're too controlling. Ah, they're trying to just tell everything. You have to do like this. You have to do like this. No, 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 no. It's about discipline. It's about discipline. That's how you grow. If you have a child who is growing in your house and you don't discipline the child, there's a, there's a stage that is coming that you will not be able to tell the child anything. The, the, that stage is coming. Just wait. Uh, you say, not right now, no, no, no. They're Canadian children. They're Canadian. Don't know. No, no, no. Don't tell them, no, no, Canadian children, you know, ah, don't worry, you will see. <laughs> they will show you Canadian behavior, just wait. <laughs> so you don't tell them anything, you don't correct them. When they do something, you don't, you don't say, ah, in our house we have rules, rules and regulations. They know that this one, we don't do it in this house. There, there are certain things that don't happen in this house. It's as simple as that. So you don't wait until, you know, and you will see people will get to a particular stage in their lives that, they now start relying on the system to help them train their children. They start calling police to come and help you train your child, your own child that you give birth to. You start calling police. Come and help me. (laughs) I can't control this child. Ah, It's because at the stage where you're supposed to have done that, you you didn't take it seriously. You didn't do it. This is one of the things that I was telling you that somebody is making a demand on this thing that I'm saying (laughs) because I didn't plan this one inside my message, all right? Okay, let's keep going here. So that is point number three. So let's talk about some qualities of the disciple and wrap this up, okay? Qualities of a disciple, Point number one, a disciple is somebody who spends time with Jesus. A disciple spends time with Jesus. So the first calling of a disciple is to Jesus. Everything else is secondary. What we do in church for God, you know, running around, doing anything, all of those things are secondary. The first primary responsibility that a disciple has is that he has been called to Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So he says, when he had called his 12 disciples to what? Did he, did he start by calling them to ministry? or calling them to go out. All those things came later on, where he sent them out two by two and sent out, you know, 70 and whatever it was. But the first thing was that he called them to himself. So this is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to be with him, to spend time with him. That is the meaning of being a disciple, is to spend time with Jesus. And that is a way from you know, what you do in church. Your church life and all all of the activities you do here and whatever it is, those things are secondary. Don't ever put that above your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So every other thing, and it's good that you you do, you know, all these different things. But you must make sure that the priority stays the priority. Disciples make themselves available to Jesus. They are not, uh, you know, they they don't put the cat before the horse. Mark chapter number 6 verse 7. Mark chapter 6 verse 7. And he called the twelve Again, you see it to himself and began to send them out two by two and give them power over unclean spirits. So before he started sending them out two by two, the Bible says he called them to himself. Are you still with me? He called them to himself. Are you sleeping? Should we finish? Should we close and go? So what, what did he do? He called them to what? Okay, I thought you, I lost you there for one second, all right? We'll soon be done, okay? Just stay with me. Acts chapter number 4, verse 13. Don't worry, next week's, uh, next month's series is going to be more, more interesting, okay? I know that this one, you have to, it's like eating vegetables, this discipleship. <laughs> next month, we're talking about relationships and marriage, so that one will be, will be very exciting, okay? Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So being with Jesus is supposed to produce a change. There's supposed to be something that happens as a result of being with Jesus. Just like what I say about when, when somebody lay, lays hands on you. I mean, when I was in, when I was in fellowship, I used, to, I used to see a lot of those things where you, know, you have an anointing service, you lay hands on people, and people are falling down under the anointing, you know, and, and they call it being sl- slain in the spirit. And I believe in it. I believe that it's, it's supposed to happen. If, if God wills that it happens, it will happen. Uh-huh. Not, it doesn't mean that if you don't fall, there's no anointing, but <laughs> sometimes people fall. But this is what I noticed, that of all the... Every time we have, you know, a service like that, we will lay on some people, people will fall down under the anointing and, and all of those things. And I will, I will find out that after a while, you will see that when you, you call, you make another call, the same people will come out again. So you start wondering that what is, really, what is really going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? What's really going on? Because the change, so my attention shifted. This thing is not about falling down. You have to, the issue is what is the change? What's the result? The Bible says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they knew that these guys were with Jesus. So there has to be a change that happens. You can come out for a call and somebody lays hands on you and you don't fall down. But at the end of the day, there has to be a change that happens. That's, that's, the, most, that's the most important thing here, all right? Uh, a disciple is always asking Jesus questions. He's always, he's always with Jesus and he's always asking questions. And if there's anything that is that not, you know, not clear to you, you read the Word of God and something is not clear to you, the first person to ask is the Holy Spirit inside you first. That's the first thing. Before you ask Google. Uh-huh. And please, don't ask Google. Google doesn't know spiritual things. I'm, I'm telling you, don't Google is not... There are other tools. <laughs> there are other tools. It's not you, you want to find a, an answer to something from the Bible. You're asking Google. Google is a resource that connects people, both atheists, people that want to confuse you as a Christian. All of them are, uh, they are putting their things there. <laughs> so the results will come out. And the, the results that come out first is not based on what is most important. It's based on who has more money. In case you don't know, that's what the world has become. So what you see on your Facebook, on your Instagram, is not about you know, what is happening right now. They have, they have programmed things to show you what they think you want to see. And those things are based on who is, who is doing the most sponsored ads. Uh-huh. So you need to understand that that's what's going on, all right? Let me, let me not dive Matthew chapter 13, verse 36. Let's, let's try to tie this up. Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitudes away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tars of the field. So Jesus told the parable, they didn't understand it, they came to him and said, please sir, can you explain to us what you meant by this? That's what a disciple does. A disciple abides so that you can bear fruit. A disciple of Jesus abides with Jesus so that you can bear fruit. That's in John chapter 15 and verse 5. John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Point number two, a disciple forsakes all and does not look back. A disciple of Jesus forsakes everything and does not look back. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Luke 14, 33 says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Forsake Everything does not mean that, you know, literally like what happened with Peter and James and John. Sometimes it might mean that, that they left their boat and everything and followed Jesus. What it really means is that everything I have is available to you. Everything that I have, everything that I own is available to God, and I'm willing to let it go if it comes to that. I told you the story of Yong, Yonggi Chow, Chao, uh, Pastor Yungi Chow, the, the Seoul, Korea um, church that, that, that has the biggest church, you know, literally on, on earth right now. Uh, and how God told them when they were going to build an auditorium to, to give up his house, sell a house that was you know, something that he really treasured. So God will make some of those demands on you as you go along. Uh, you must be willing to let go of things. That's what this means, all right? Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I count all these things lost for the, for the knowledge of Christ for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as, what? Rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, no matter what I have, no matter what I have acquired in my life, no matter what I own, all these things, I count them as nothing. So there's, there's no looking back for a disciple. Luke chapter 9, verse 61 to 62. Luke 9, 61 to 62. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, Having put his hand to the plow and looking back, his feet for the kingdom of God. And we've talked about this a lot, that there is no, there's no me first when it comes to the things of the kingdom. That's who a disciple is. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. I'm giving you a lot of scriptures deliberately. You can write them down and take some time to study this out on your own, okay? And don't let the, the, the time that you are in church like this and you, hear, you are hearing the message be the only time that you hear it. Go back. Go to your notes. Read those scriptures by yourself. That's what the the, the Bible says the Berean Christians were doing, okay? Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. So he's saying no matter what it is that you have to give up for the kingdom of God, you will receive a hundredfold. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. Final point. I know you guys are tired. One more point, okay? And you will be out of here. A disciple endures persecution. A disciple endures persecution. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Matthew chapter 10, 22 to 23. It says, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So Jesus is saying that, see, when you when you'll sign up to be my disciple, you are signing up for persecution. You are signing up for people to actually dislike you because of who you are, because of the fact that you are a Christian. So disciples don't avoid persecution. We understand that this is something that happens. By virtue of the fact that we are Christians, persecution will come. Persecution will come. And it's not, it's not something that we run away from. And there are too many Christians now trying to run away from persecution. By, by, you know, trying to be friendly with every ideology so that nobody, you know, it's almost like, you know, we don't want people to blacklist us or make us, you know, make us outcasts or feel like, you know, we don't belong in society anymore. You don't belong in society. You, that's why you're a Christian. He says you are, you are in the world, but you are not of this world. So you don't belong here. That's the thing but we're trying to make this place so comfortable for us, <laughs> the earth so comfortable for us that we are forgotten that we actually are not citizens of this earth. All right, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, let's, go, let's go now to verse 16. Verse number 16 to 18, Matthew 10, 16 to 18. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and armless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles." So not everybody will like you because Christianity is not politically correct. Jesus was not politically correct. He was not. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even the religious leaders were obsessed with everything he said because he, he, he never conformed to the status quo. Never conformed. And there's too much conformity going on right now that people are just you know, trying to adjust to everything. People are just trying to you know, accommodate, accommodate every idea, everything. And, and you see, Christians, literally changing position on everything and you are like do these people actually read the bible like there are some churches that i'm really curious and i want to know how they read their bible how they how they explain certain scriptures that you see that is so plain black and white that god hates this he loves this and then they twist everything upside down and you're like how do you even live with yourself in in with this thing that you are proclaiming that you know that is what is supposed to be matthew chapter 10. From verse 24 to 26. Matthew 10, 24 to 26. Uh, I believe I have one more scripture after this. Matthew 10, 24 to 26. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more would they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden. That will not be known. So because we believe things the world does not believe, we are, we are often going to be in the line of fire. We are going to be subject of ridicules, subject of jokes, and sometimes downright persecution. Uh-huh. What, what it means is that, they are, see, there's going to come a time, even in this country, that they will start saying that if you don't accept certain you know, things, you won't, you won't get certain benefits. You know, you know, right now, they are doing it in a very subtle way. You know, like, if you don't, if you don't take this, then you are not qualified for this. You know, if you, don't, if you don't believe this, then you can't... I mean, there are so many... And you need to, you need to wake up to what's really going on and, and read about churches and, you know, Christian events that are happening so that you know how to pray and what you should be praying about. It's because there are so many churches that are being persecuted just because of what they believe. And they are being denied certain things. Like they will say, we can't, if you are going to take uh, grants... From, from government, then you cannot... This is what you should believe. You know, there are all these little, little things, and it, it, it's just going to be more pronounced. Uh-huh. You will be denied access to certain things because of what you believe. That is, that is normal. There's nothing... It is, it is what Jesus said will happen. Okay? I, I remember when, uh, when we first came to Canada, uh, when I first came to Canada, and I was looking for a job. I got a job with a church. A church. Okay? And I was supposed to be there. I'm sure you remember this, I was supposed to be their, you know, media person, you know, like the, the PR, you know, whatever, of the, for the church and all. And, you know, it was during the final stages of the interview that they were now telling me, you know, telling me in a nice way, you know, that this is what we believe, you know. We call black white and white black, you know. This is what we believe here, you know. Uh, you know? Uh, um, you, they were asking me almost in an indirect way, do you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? Say yes, marriage is... Only between a man and a woman. One man and one woman. Not man and man. Not woman and woman. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that. So they said, well, uh, we believe this interview is over. <laughs> we believe this is I didn't get the job because of that. Just because of that. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's not, it's not something that I've not experienced. I've experienced And it was at a period when I needed the job. So it wasn't that, <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, oh, I had other options or whatever it was. So you will give up things. There's no way. And and I don't know if some of you were uh, were here when we had um, advance summit. When when was what year was that? 2019 now. I think it was was and, and in the city. And people showed up, you know, in opposition to say, man, this thing is not going to happen. And they started, you know, making all sorts of noise. And those kind of things, you have to get used to it, because it's not going to get better. If you are actually doing what Jesus said we should be doing, those things are supposed to be happening to you. Where people are opposing your ideas and they're saying no, 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 you can't, you can't say that. And I mean, even what I'm saying now, there are people that will still send me email and say, "Are you sure that what you are saying <laughs> this is what?" But I don't care. You have to stand for what the Bible says and look at. And, and when I was encouraging you about, you know, the, about voting, the government um, election, federal election is, in, is here now. If you are eligible, vote. At least find out what they are doing. Find out and look for the the one that best aligns with the word of God. I'm not saying that it's going to be perfectly aligned. There's no, none of them <laughs> can be. But look, at, it's just like when they give you an exam in school and say choose the answer that best <laughs> describes, that's all you can do. So find the one that best aligns with the values of God's word and vote that way. And vote that way. I'm talking about things like, you know, advanced summit and love code and things like that. We're still going to do a lot of all those things, you know, that we used to do. It's just that right now, we're just focusing on church, okay, for now. But we'll still get out there and do all those things. Let everybody come and make noise and campaign. It's okay, all right? That's what it's supposed to be, all right? Because if you are not pushing against the status quo, you are not taking territory. Uh, it's not that we just sit down in our, in our zone and be, and be waiting for attack so that we can defend the attack. No, you go into the enemy territory, all right? So I hope with these three points of mine, I've been able to convince you and not to confuse you. Let's look at the final scripture, Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, verse 20 to 21. Isaiah 5, 20 to 21. says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. So, it's saying there's going to come a time, and we're already in that time, where people are going to call evil good and they will call good evil. They will literally be be changing the definition of things. You have to be awake. So next month, we're going to talk about, you know, marriage. We will lay down the law uh so that everybody knows what we believe and what is clear uh in God's word so that nobody is confused about anything. All right? So uh, let's just bow our heads and pray. Uh, We'll continue next week. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, We'll talk about, next Sunday, we're going to talk about the home of discipleship. Basically, we want to answer the question, why do we need to come to church? Why can't we just, you know, sit down at home and be watching live stream? You know, why do we actually, what what does church exist for? So we'll, we'll look at that next week. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word today. And by the power of your spirit, we ask that you establish every single one of us in this truth and indeed in all righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.